you know, people aren't just going to come up to any any unit and engage with you unless you have kind of, you know, a reputation. So also it's it's building the network of trust and community and really building strong connections with organizations that are already in the community in order to utilize that trust and to grow our image in that way so that we can attract people to the unit. So that's another thing is building those relationships, but then also uh, donors and funds. You're listening to Relish This, the Purpose Marketing Podcast. Here's your host, Stu Swineford. Hey, everybody, this is Stu. Are you getting everything you can out of the materials you produce? On today's show, I had a really fun conversation with Francie Saunders, and she's one of the founders of Ubiquitous Empowerment, an up-and-coming organization that's focused on helping underserved youth communities live happier, healthier lives through increased access to sexual health education and services. The bulk of our conversation centered around all of the momentum they've built on social during their research phase and how they can leverage and repurpose those materials to get the most out of every asset they've created. We also discuss ways to leverage their reach and ability to serve online as proof of concept to fundraise in order to fuel their future in-person mobile clinic play. Francie's just great. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Francie, how are you today? I'm good, Sue. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for joining me on the show. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for asking me to be a part of it. Oh, my pleasure. It's really good to talk with you. Are you up in Fort Collins? I'm actually in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, where my family is uh, for the holidays. But usually, yes, I'm in Fort Collins. (laughs) All right. What's it like in Memphis today? It's really sunny and nice out. Um, There's no snow here, which, you know, is good and bad, but it's, it's a beautiful day. Awesome. That sounds great. I think I was in Memphis once way back in high school or maybe even late junior high, but it's been it's been a long time since I've been there. Oh, really? Yeah. I, that's what people say. You know, they've been through a couple of times or they say, uh, not Memphis, but Nashville. And I'm like, right? yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> Same state, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thanks for hopping on uh, the podcast today. I'm excited to hear what you're up to with Ubiquitous Empowerment. And I'll uh, I'll let you tell that story a little bit. Sure. Yes. And uh, thanks again for having me on. I, I love to talk about you know social ventures, nonprofits, uh, business for good in general. So it's really exciting to be here and speak with you. Um, but yeah, I uh, so ubiquitous was born out of the MBA that I just earned, which is an MBA in global social and sustainable enterprise from Colorado State University. And it's actually now called the Impact MBA. They just uh, just changed the name. And so basically, you know, the whole program is an entire MBA, um, comprehensive in that way, but it does take a huge focus on global, social, and sustainable um, use of business, business for good, people, planet, and profit. So in the beginning, we were kind of challenged to uh, do our research and bring to everyone. There's a there was a cohort of 27 of us, but uh, bring to everyone a 
and propose ideas in which there, so there's so many global challenges really, and bring three of them that have the potential for enterprise to make a difference in, to solve some of the issues, alleviate some of the challenges that face it. So uh, another one teammate, my teammate Reed, my first teammate, uh, we both kind of brought to the table similar ideas, but basically that revolved around sexual and menstrual health. And we decided to pair up and kind of dive into this global challenge um, and see what we found out about really what are the barriers standing in the way of people getting the sexual, menstrual, reproductive health care services and information they need to make the healthiest choices. And over a year and a half, we gained another teammate, Emma, and we researched, we interviewed, we surveyed, we tested, and we found that um, there's there's a lot of issues. Uh, it's really about access and, of course, cultural cultural issues and stigma, but ubiquitous. Um, so our mission is just founded in breaking barriers that stand in the way of young people getting these sexual and menstrual products, services, and information they need to make their healthiest choices for their minds and bodies. And what we found was a very uh, feasible way of doing that would be a mobile health unit that focuses in bringing products and services that are affordable um, directly to young people living in urban settings. Because a lot of the time school doesn't provide access to these products and services, and there's a lot of misinformation out in the world. So to make it easier and kind of solve the access problem that way. So that, but we did research um, other things like a customizable education online platform that has curricula about mental health, physical health, even financial literacy to kind of supplement the education system. So we, you know, we saw that there's just a lot of issues in education and um, access. And so that's kind of what Ubiquitous revolves around. Um, and we had just an amazing time learning how how deep these problems go and what would be feasible, viable ideas in making it just easier for young people to get the information and services they need to make the healthiest choices. Gotcha. And you, you are planning to roll out a, this, this mobile unit in, in Memphis first, correct? That is exactly right. Yes, I did leave out that part that we, we focused in Memphis, Tennessee, where I am now and where I'm from. Uh, so the program that I was in, we would have taken the summer months and gone anywhere in the world to research. But of course, COVID-19 came around. And so those plans were all just totally destroyed. But we um, luckily had focused domestically, you know, like these aren't just problems, you know, in developing countries, there are problems in the US too. So yes, we looked at Memphis because it is um, an interesting location where there might be a lot of cultural stigma, but there's also a lot of progress and amazing activists and organizations that are working on uh, these problems like high STD rates, high teen pregnancy rates, and high uh, high school dropout rates. Uh, so it was a really unique spot to come and see where there's problems, where there's people working with them, and uh, have also the connections of being from here. Oh, that's great. Is it? Are you primarily focused on lower income areas, or is this a? Are you seeing this as a, a problem that spans kind of all of those economic uh, layers? 
Definitely. Um, that's a great question. We do want to, we know that this problem is especially hard for people living in low income situations when you can't afford products and services that you need. Um, mm-hmm. So we would love to bring that directly to low income populations, but we would never, we'd also, you know, we would visit all different zip codes really and um, try to serve everyone, but we would definitely focus on those that are more explicitly underserved, but we talked to some experts here in Memphis and uh, she's the CEO of Sister Reach, um, Sharice, and she was telling us how, you know, it's, it's a problem definitely for people living in low income, but it's, it's, it it presents itself differently for maybe um, more privileged people who might go to a better school, but it's still, uh, it's still a bit like secretive because of the cultural mm-hmm. stigmas. So it, it maybe doesn't present itself as blatantly, but that um, everyone needs better access to these products and services and information. Gotcha. And what, what's the primary um, age group that you're, you're trying to start with in, in your outreach? Uh, we were, well, so our research revolved around 11 to 27. We were like, this okay. is kind of, cause you know, we want, there's, kids going into puberty, but then Mm -hmm. also uh, our research showed that young people going into college, typical college age, still don't have the information they need that's just medically accurate, that's uh, totally informed. So we didn't want to leave them out either. Uh, So it's kind of that range, but typically middle school, high school aged kids. Okay. And and then what are your what are your challenges or what, what's the, the mobile unit look like in terms of, of, you know, I'm assuming you're, you're raising some money for this, trying to, to fund it. What, what are those challenges that you're, that you're seeing right now to get this program up and running? Right. The big challenge is, um, funding. So we do have it framed as a nonprofit because that was just the way that we found this would be most feasible. Uh, but, Getting grants is difficult, uh, and especially during this time. Although I have my mother has worked in development for nonprofits uh, for about twenty years, and she 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 does know that there are opportunities. You just have to find them and go after right. them. And uh, so that's probably the biggest. And then really establishing this is all about trust. You know, people aren't just going to come up to any any unit and engage with you unless you have kind of, you know, a reputation. So also it's, it's building the network of trust and community and really building strong connections with organizations that are already in the community in order to utilize that trust and to grow our image in that way so that we can attract people to the unit. So that's another thing is building those relationships, but then also uh, donors and funds. Gotcha. So have you, have you started that process? Are you reaching out to kind of uh, tangential or parallel type of, of um, organizations? What, what's your plan there? So we, throughout our research, we spoke to these organizations and we got a lot of great feedback how kids could really use it. But in terms of right now, we haven't totally moved into the actual like, Hey, we're going to, we're getting ready to launch right now just because of, COVID, uh, really, because it's been hard to, um, cause it's, it is a face-to-face endeavor visiting the unit. 
So that's we've we've been apprehensive to approach people. We have been researching funds and grants, and we have a growing list and growing uh, number of applications. But um, we want to make sure that we are promising something that we can truly bring. Uh, That's one also, you know, message that we got from people talking, speaking to people in Memphis. They're like, you know, people talk about bringing great things and sometimes they do, but you really have to follow up with your word. So we are very cautious in in what we promise. Um, But we have been building those relationships and learning from people who've been working in this field for most of their professional careers uh, about it. Okay, great. Are you, so are you pre-fundraising? You're not not really doing a yes. ton of fundraising right now. You're yes. still kind of, exp, you know, testing the waters at this That's point. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And my, um, so my team of, th- there's only three of us that have built out uh, Ubiquitous and uh, what are my one teammate, Emma, you know, she's staying in Denver and she's gotten a job with a different organization, which is um, working with young people in Boulder. But okay. uh, my teammate, Reed, he's taking some time off to after getting our master's. So it's it's a really interesting situation where and Reed can come back and help me build this. But it's really, you know, we're we're and as we learned in the program and building social ventures and building startups and nonprofits is that it's very slow. So we haven't rushed into the actual development of this yet, but I found that I'm so passionate about, you know, the, the education and the healthcare system and how there's a lot of reform that needs to happen and specifically sexual and menstrual health that I have found that this is really my calling and that I want to talk to as many people as I can um, about Ubiquitous and about this this mission because I realize that, you know, the form of the mobile health unit is a, I think it's it's great. It's a great way to access young people who need these things. But I understand that it might have to take on a different form maybe, or that I need to, we even need to speak to more people um, to see if it would really work or do some more testing because we really didn't get it to go out there and do much testing of our, you know, right. minim- minimally viable product. Although we did, we did once at a, at like a, a street market and we got, you know, bites and stuff, but it's, it's just, I think it would have gone different with COVID. Not that I'm complaining. I think we've built something amazing, but yes, we are very much in, the, we're still in the egg. We are, have not yet hatched. If that's- <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. That's a great, a great way to put it. Um, in terms of kind of your next steps in rolling this out, are you, do you feel like you need to get the, build the brand more or, or just start talking to more people? Uh, have you taught, have you considered being able to, to continue to provide maybe some more virtual opportunities than in person? What, yes. what direction have you guys discussed? That's um, another great question. So building the brand is definitely um, a big step. We did, you know, see the power of social media. That's how we distributed all of our surveys to young people. We distributed over 100 surveys to young people in Memphis to ask them about um, their perceptions, their behaviors, their attitudes, and then their actions around these subjects. And so we did see that it's, it's really important what kind of brand you build, especially around these topics, because it's so uh, delicate. So we want to have the, you know, the right branding and the right messaging. Um, But also, yes, of course, 
you know, networking about it and talking to people about it because the number one thing that's going to make a difference in this world is a strong web of people and organizations working together to make it better. So that's probably the first steps that I'm taking is talking to more people about it and, you know, not only normalizing the conversation around these topics, but uh, engaging with them, seeing people, everyone wants to talk about this. Everyone has amazing ideas. Everyone's had their struggles. And so gaining, you know, uh, a, a bigger backing and, and really, throwing uh, ideas at people and seeing what they think. But yeah, that networking and branding for sure before um, the funding would take place, I think. Gotcha. Cool. Um, and you said you're, I know you're on Instagram. Are there any other social networks that you've uh, embraced? Well, we, the whole TikTok is amazing. Um, and yeah. you, you did ask about the virtual presence and virtual things. And so many people have said, you know, Francie, you should get on TikTok and do like sex ed videos, you know, little sex ed snippets. But I just have such a hard time because I'm like, am I just going to be a part of a feed that you're scrolling through? And I do think it sounds so fun to make these videos and be engaging. Um, so that's definitely something we have considered. Uh, and the whole online curriculum, I think more people are are seeing with the, you know, with COVID and everything going online, but also the digital divide that we need to have stronger ways of getting people online um, to engage. And remind me of the question you just asked. I just got onto the virtual idea. Oh, we were just talking about um, about your social media platforms oh, and what, right. where you were playing. Yeah. So we... we not only learned from, we distributed our, our surveys. There were, there were ads on Snapchat, Instagram, and Facebook. And okay. we found that Instagram was definitely the strongest, then Snapchat, and then Facebook was um, where we faced the most backlash. So I also uh -huh. think that correlates with the average age of users. So uh, on Facebook, you know, we got adults that were like, um, commenting and saying, you know, kids don't really need this. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. And then on Instagram, we got had young people being like, this is amazing. We definitely <laughs> want this. <laughs> so that also helped us realize, okay, we don't need to focus on the older population to help them get young people what they need. We need to go straight to young people. So social media has definitely, we realized from the beginning, this is going to be a huge factor and success. So we've grown, um, a lot of our a lot of our followers came from those advertisements on Instagram, and then you know I I think we definitely have to be strong in the Snapchat and TikTok world as well, though those are a little different. But I did curate like the whole feed on Instagram. It's it's like mini sex ed lessons basically, and then we also used it to uh, for those advertising promos. So that was really useful and um, did reveal a lot. And the main goal of that was to get people interested in the brand and then be willing to fill out, fill out a survey. Is that that's accurate? A, yes, that's exactly okay. accurate. Yes. <clears throat> and, um, and so you said you, you were able to, to collect about a hundred, hundred surveys? Mm -hmm. Over a hundred okay. surveys. Uh, uh, yes. And we we had very interesting finding from those, you know, we asked about willingness to pay, uh, willingness to visit um, if you would, even walk up to the unit if it would feel private, safe, approachable, um, the interest in the kind of items or services we would offer. And so we got a lot of feedback about what people say, at least that they would want and what they would do. 
Okay. Gotcha. That's awesome. And then in terms of the, so this was for your master's, was there a, a paper that you published that, That's a, that came out of this? I, I would, I was just thinking about that today because we did speak to someone, um, I, I believe it was Shamika Thorpe and she was telling us that, you know, no matter what comes out of this, whatever you find, you need to publish it because there is not enough work out there on this. So I was, um, we, that's, we have all the information. We, we don't have it written up into a research paper, but from my, I've done a lot of research. So um, I'm very excited to take that on and see if we can get it published what we found, because there was another study in 2018 in Chicago about sex and reproductive healthcare services on a mobile health unit. And they found really, um, really interesting fa- or findings that, you know, young people want these services. Mobile health providers want to provide these services and so there is a market out there and I'd, I'd love to do that. We also um, completely wrote out a, a business plan for the mobile health unit, okay. a, a, you know, over 20 pages all about our, our market, our marketing, the industry, um, our organization, our development, the management and everything. And that um, I can share that with you for sure. And I think I can make that public so that people can look at it and share their ideas as well. Yeah, that'd be great. We can publish that in the show notes if you want to share that with me and, and are comfortable sharing it with the audience. Um, I would I would echo the the sentiment of the of the advice that you got in terms of of having this research and being able to take that and share it with the world as well as just getting it out there. That's only going to improve the you know the brand recognition, um, increase validity. And, um, and really kind of kickstart this, you know, fundraising as well as just brand awareness campaign that, that you're, that you're going to need to, on, on which you're going to need to embark, um, in order to kind of fund, uh, your mobile unit and, and all of your activities. So I certainly think that, that continuing to move toward that idea of publication of that research would be fantastic. Um, it, you know, it may be worth continuing that survey and expanding, um, expanding your reach. How how many, how many followers did you, did you pick up on Instagram during this campaign? Do you think? Probably close to, uh, all of them. I know I did share that, you know, I was building out this Instagram. We, and I think we only, you know, we have less than 200 followers, but uh, as soon as we started the ads, we gained at least a hundred. And so it was really effective um, in terms of that. And we, we did offer some incentives. Uh, it was, you know, really hot summer Memphis. So we offered, um, you know, a free box of popsicles from a local popsicle vendor for, you know, a few lucky winners. So we did okay. have some incentives, but also people really, they, they wanted to be a part of this conversation, the young people. So I would, that's great advice. I'd love to continue this research and keep getting more feedback um, from young people, you know, throughout the year. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's one of these things where you've you've done all the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's there's costs. There are costs associated both in time and and if you choose to run more ads, there's there are ad costs there. However, you've built the platform and you have have done all of that initial you know momentum building in terms of of getting that inertia and, and and moving things forward that i think you could capitalize on and just kind of keep keep that ball rolling to to uh continue the metaphor um 
where you know the hard the hardest part has already been done and so now it's just kind of coasting and keeping keeping your foot on on the gas just a little bit um and it feels like you might be able to expand into other communities into other other areas to get additional um you know just additional information that could could then become kind of this even bigger study that that falls out of this um but one of the things that that we recommend and and we see a lot in in social is there's a tendency to coast once one has made it to a certain level and has decided, oh, I, I, you know, I have 500 followers or I have a thousand followers or whatever the, the goal was. And the, the tendency is to kind of let off the gas, which is natural. However, what tends to happen is you start to bleed your, the interest, uh, and, and the excitement about what you're doing. And people are like, well, these guys were publishing, you know, every week or whatever your cadence was. And all of a sudden they just kind of stopped. Um, there's, there's an opportunity there that I, I think you might want to consider in terms of, of just keeping the foot on the gas, even if it's just a little bit to, to maintain interest and, and create opportunities for back and forth conversations. I definitely agree with that. And I, I pre- appreciate that feedback because I know it's really hard work, but, and I, it's, it's nice to hear that you think we've, you know, done all the heavy lifting so far. And I do believe, you know, we have the power to keep coasting and, but, but building up, accelerating mm-hmm. even more. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and I, I love what you did with the, with the feed and I, I took a peek at it and it has a lot of personality and it, and it's also very informative. And so it's not just a one way, sounding board, which is what a lot of, a lot of organizations tend to fall into that trap that their social media just becomes this, you know, this soapbox that they throw down on the ground and hop up on and start, start screaming out of or off of. And, um, which, you know, is, is great. It's kind of the initial thing that you have to do to start to get some momentum, but we really do like to see organizations, embracing the idea that social media is a two-way street and it it is all about about creating um relationships and building relationships and nurturing those and 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 social media does tend to be very much like you know real life in the fact that that most relationships are not one way and and if you've ever been in kind of a one-way relationship it feels really weird because that's just not how relationships work. So, um, so really making sure that, that the, that the, the platforms that you're on, you're truly engaged with, as opposed to just putting material out there. I think that's definitely a really good point that I think, yeah, it's easy to overlook and treat it more as like, um, maybe like a billboard than like a conversation because, you know, we do want to, everything that we do is about engaging people and opening up the conversation. And it's, it's important not to forget that. Well, and if, yeah. And it sounds like you have a, a pretty passionate uh, group of kids here who have, right. who have latched, latched onto the brand and are excited about the information that you're putting out and, and are, are trying to engage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, Follow-up surveys would be, would be a really good opportunity. Um, 
you know, getting them to spread the word, you know, really just just being coming to, coming from it from that that position of altruism where you really want to help, um, and so that's why I, I like the idea of all this sex education information that you were that you're putting out there, um, and and looking back at some of that stuff, republishing. That's another thing that tends to not happen a ton on social. Um, you know, people think that you have to come up with fresh content all the time. And I, I certainly fall into this trap a lot with, with my, my business um, where it's like, Oh, I've already, I've already said that. And, you know, people are going to, people are going to know if I post again, or they're going to, they're going to get upset. And, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that the, not everyone saw it the first time. Mm-hmm. A, B, your audience has changed and grown, hopefully, since the last time that you put that out there. And, and so, you know, re, um, you know, reusing material either across platforms, so syndicating it or, or within that same platform, um, you know, that, that tends to work pretty well as, as well. Um, so, you know, don't feel like you have to necessarily reinvent the wheel every time out. Right. That's a great point. Because also, you know, if you tell someone once, they might remember it. But if you tell them over and over again, it's more likely that it'll really plant a seed and they'll start thinking about it on their own. And I do think you're so right. People get scared to say it again on social media because it feels like you're, you post it once, they must look at it again, but it really just falls down the feed. Yep. more than anything. And the odds are that someone's really looking through all your posts or that all of your followers are looking through all of your posts again and again is just, yeah, yeah naive. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, the tendency, and I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a bad tendency. The tendency is to, is to think, well, you know, I don't want to bore people or I don't want to, mm-hmm. you know, repeat myself in terms of, of, I want to keep things fresh, but, right. but yeah, there, you know, people miss stuff all the time, particularly as, as they follow more and more brands and, and, and influencers and people, you know, out there. So, um, you know, just putting it, putting it back out is, is, uh, is pretty effective. That's a great idea. And my guess is, is there's plenty of additional, um, material that you could, that you could share. Um, I liked the style of your Instagram feed. So I, I think, just even taking a block of information that you put out, um, let's say a couple months ago and just using a different, uh, you know, a different colored mm-hmm. slate on it. You could, you could create, you know, five different colors and, and post it once a month for five months and see, just see what happens and see if you're, if you actually get more buy-in once it starts getting out there more. Um, and that's another tip to consider, with social is asking questions and really trying to get engagement. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, within, within those items themselves, you know, really seeing if you can get people to comment, um, by asking, asking a question or, or, you know, really trying to engage. I did. I do love that. I, I, throughout the, our whole research, you know, I was trying to, you can take polls on social media sometimes, and I do it on my personal account about these things. And, you know, I knew, just because of the sensitivity of these topics that some people will want to answer and some people won't. So I, I would really like love to continue that and continue, you know, 
I wish they could be a bit more anonymous on social media, but mm-hmm. you know, the, the polls were really um, eye opening for me just of, you know, my own social media network about what people think they got enough of and didn't get enough of. And I'd love to continue that and really make it feel like it's not just, um, that there's a real person who cares behind the account, not, not just someone running it because it's their job. Yeah. I love that. I love that idea. And it just spawned something, um, in, in my mind, you know, why not run a run a poll just to ask people what they'd like to hear? Um, mm-hmm. You know, what, what kind of information? What what would you want? To, what do you want to see more of? Um, and and a lot of people, a lot of organizations, both for profit and nonprofit, fail to to take that opportunity to to just ask people the question, and and they they spend a ton of time researching and trying to figure out where people want to go and what they want to do. And it's like, well, you you're already in contact with a bunch of people. Right. Just ask them. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a novel. It's it's pretty new to be able to just kind of have that uh, resource at your fingertips. You know, yeah. people on their social medias, and they will press a button, answer your question, or even type it in. And yeah, it was yeah, it was really fun for me to uh, create that account. And I, you know, I I'm, I'm creative. I've made art my whole life, so to be able and I've you know been in a tutor and a teaching assistant. So to be able to combine those into little mini lessons and try to engage people was really refreshing um, to do mid, you know, very formal research as well. Right. <laughs> right. I know um, with the multi image mm-hmm. option in, and I know we're talking a lot about Instagram. So, <laughs> um, but with the, the, the multi multi image option in Instagram, you can create a little mini slideshow. So if you, if you think of a multi-step fee, um, you know, tip mm-hmm. that you might want to give, um, you can tee that up in, in Instagram and let people kind of move through that, um, either in your, in your story, I've seen people do that very effectively just right. within stories as, as well as in your feed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that came to mind in, in terms of any social media, and th- this is a little bit of a touchy subject cause you're, you're in healthcare here. Sure. So we wouldn't want to want you to overstep your bounds, but certainly the anonymity piece, um, you know, really just offering people the opportunity to DM you, mm-hmm. um, if they have a specific question or if they, you know, if they have something that they really need some help with, um, you know, there, there might be opportunities for you to create, particularly since you are focused in, you know, in one location mm-hmm. primarily, um, you know, create a, a list of service providers that you could actually just refer people out to mm-hmm. so that you don't get into, um, into any, any trouble. Um, you know, obviously, you know, making sure that you're, you're being very cautious about right. emer- emergency situations, et cetera. But, um, but that might be a way to get around that anonymity piece as well as to just build that trust that like, wow, this person's really willing to, to talk with me about this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that's just going to reinforce that component of your brand that you're that you're trying to get across. That's a great point. And one aspect of the, you know, the mobile health unit, we can't provide everything. And we, we we really can't provide everything. You know, we don't have, um, we we would have telehealth services that could maybe get you, um, or that would get you a birth control prescription, but we would not have an in-person clinician or physician, but we do have a running list of organizations and clinics in Memphis that we have talked to, um, or if we haven't talked to, we've, we've looked at their 
offerings and we've even looked at kind of um, their reputation in the community. And we've made a list of where we would refer people. And that was definitely a, a, a very important part of our model. And just our thinking is that we want to point people in the direction of someone we can trust. And mm-hmm. then it, it just even made it clear and clear again, that this is such a communal effort um, to tackle this problem at all. And in a way that uh, will really make a difference. Yeah, I think I think you're onto something for sure, and it and it's cool how you can spill this out to other communities. So, you know, similarly to right. your you know thinking about your social is like you're doing the the big heavy lift right now, and mm-hmm. and by creating processes and by you know understanding all of the things that that come into play to create a rollout, um, you know, if you document those effectively, uh, that allows you to scale, um, to other areas or even, you know, add more units in, in Memphis. Um, so that'd be something to just keep in the back of your mind as, as you are building this is, and documentation is one of these things that people I'm, I'm, you know, I, I fall into the trap of, of having everything in my head and it's like, well, I know how to do it. It'll be fine, but that's impossible to scale. Right. Because now I have to be the guy who does it all. So creating those, you know, those processes as you're building this out, I think it's going to be a a really key component of your ability to, uh, you know, to bring this to other markets. I agree. I think if we were to scale, whether, like you said, another mobile health unit or moving into another um, city or area, it would, we would want to have proved out kind of our method and have a solid foundation on how to very successfully operate the unit before taking on that another big, big, you know, um, uh, well, scaling it, you know, the yeah. big movement of getting another unit out there or. Yeah, um, for sure. So what are the goals in terms of fundraising for for 2021 or are you are you just not even close to to talking about that piece yet well my teammate reed is a he's basically our chief financial officer but we have projected um or we, we did come up with a an ask um and we have you know our for what we need so you know we'd need i think it totaled up to around at least to get us off the ground. So, you know, we need a unit, which is Mm -hmm. less than $100,000, but it has to be, you know, correctly outfitted. And then the maintenance of that unit is, um, you know, another cost. Uh, The, you know, we'd have a small team working at first, probably just me and Reed, but then we need to hire on other people trained in adolescent um, health and sexual Mm -hmm. health to man the unit. And then, uh, so at all that added up, there is, it's a big ask. So we, we had the idea of, you know, a, a phased approach okay. where um, first we'd ask for don- donations. And then as we grew, then we'd uh, and continued to prove out really what we're doing, get some more um, research and uh, information and data under our belt, build our network, um, but then to look at local, regional, state and um, national grants okay within that mm-hmm. okay great is there so in the absence of the physical unit mm-hmm. and we, we sort of touched on this a little bit earlier in terms of this vir- co- concept of virtual um, right. opportunities is there 
is there a way that you can can start to develop those systems and roll those out online um, so that you reduce your your startup cost? So by systems, do you mean? I mean, the kind of the consultative piece. So right. thinking through when um, when a, a, a young girl in need comes to your to your system, comes into your system, mm-hmm. what uh, what are the what are the steps you're taking? What are the onboarding steps? What's the, what's that process look like right. and, and start to fine tune that from a virtual standpoint um, so that you have, again, coming back to that process piece, you have some of that stuff really refined and ready to go. That demonstrates um, validity um, and, and it demonstrates the ability to actually provide this service which then will kind of help snowball the the donor piece and the grant piece and mm-hmm. all of that stuff kind of comes into play in terms of pieces of the puzzle that that you say okay well we we rolled this out online uh, due to, you know, the, the story would be uh, due to COVID and and financial constraints. We wanted to get this out into the into the marketplace as quickly as possible mm-hmm. because there was a real need, um, you know, during this time of, mm-hmm. of uh, schools being disrupted, et cetera. Um, from there, you've developed this process to, by which you uh, you help counsel um, ki- these kids and help get them the the information and the uh, resources that they need and and really documenting that process then becomes this this thing that you can um, you, know, you can it can go and repeat you can add a new team member and and there's you know this is this is how we do it okay I can follow that um, but you're doing this all within this virtual uh, infrastructure to start because um, because the in-person is not only costly, but uh, but also maybe a little less of an opportunity right now. Right. That's a great point. And I, f- I feel like, uh, I mean, I just love the terms that they used, that you used. They're a bit unfamiliar to me just because although we're building a nonprofit, I haven't had so many conversations about that. But that is such a great point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'd want to build that out stronger. And it makes me think, you know, how when people do approach us, you know, we want to point them if they're looking for something we can't provide, of course, that network of mm-hmm. like local trusted clinics comes in hand. But then the the telehealth um, portion where you can get a prescription for hormonal birth control, like if you need it, I think that's great. But there's a huge digital divide. So even getting people on virtual platforms, have you well, I, I did listen to a recent um, podcast that you uh, held where you talked um, about how it's really hard for some families to even get online. So I'm wondering how how you might bypass that challenge when people just can't even access things virtually in general. Maybe you can't go to the huh. library anymore. Yeah. yeah, it's really a big challenge. I think, um, you know, not only from a you know, a hardware perspective in terms of there are a lot of people who, who don't have the ability to, you know, to have multiple laptops or, or tablets or, or, you know, things of that nature. I, I think right now, particularly given the audience that you're trying to, in, with whom you're trying to engage, that having a good solid mobile presence is, is going to be important. Mm-hmm. So making sure that 
your systems and um, your website work really, really well on phones. Um, mm-hmm. And so leveraging those technologies that, first of all, that, that your constituents or your, um, your stakeholders are comfortable with, leveraging those technologies in a way that that allows them to use the technology that they already have in their hands. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say mobile is, is, you know, at the onset going to be a very key component of, of what you do. And, you know, fortunately that's part of the, part of the language that you're already using in terms of the, of the units themselves. I mean, you're, you're talking about, right. you know, being very mobile. And, mm-hmm. and so, um, so I would look at, some of the kind of the newer components of particularly of these, these youth trending um, social channels to see if there's opportunities to, to leverage those for um, you know, for group chat type of stuff, perhaps um, in terms of, of being able to kind of do one to many. Mm -hmm. So the other, the other challenge that you have right now is there's only a couple of you guys as well. And so figuring out how you can get that message out to as many people as possible um, and, and create a, create a one-to-one vibe in a one-to-many kind of, kind of platform. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, hosting, hosting kind of we you know things like you know amas and things of that nature um really trying to get a whole bunch of people in at once so that you know one hour of your time actually scales to however many people are are in that room that that virtual room that's a great idea and and again let you know one of the things that that i see organizations being kind of challenged with from time to time is they latch on to the technology that they like or the, mm-hmm. the channels that they like. And so, um, you know, so for an older person, they might be, you know, like, Oh, I need to be on Facebook, but their, their stakeholders are not there. Right. Um, and so just making sure that you are showing up in, in those, in those platforms that you, that the people you want to reach are using, um, so like you said earlier, you know, Snapchat, TikTok, those would, I, I would say definitely be on, on my list if I were you right. in terms of, of those places that, that you really get good at playing, playing really well in those, in those areas. I totally agree. And th- you're, you know, we did learn that in the beginning where our strengths were and where they weren't in terms of, you know, how to actually target the people that we really want to target and you mm-hmm. can't make them join an app. You have to go, mm-hmm. go to where they are and really engage them there. And then it's, again, it's that presence of feeling like there's a person behind the, yeah. the account that can really engage you and help you have a conversation. And I love the idea of the AMA, especially in, on these topics, you know, and getting people to really engage that way, ask questions and all at once. Yeah. Great yeah. idea. Yeah, I think Instagram. I saw this for the first time the other day, and I'm, I, I'm dangerous enough in social media in terms. Of, I know enough to be dangerous, but it's not necessarily exactly where my my strengths lie. But I did see like an Instagram Live kind of event the other day, mm-hmm. which was something I hadn't seen before. That um, it was part of. Um, 
it was part of a guy who who does a lot of um a lot of work in the environmental space and he um his his whole Instagram feed is about looking at influencers who are doing things that may not be exactly great for the environment or particularly mm-hmm. in in like uh, our our national parks and kind of saying hey maybe don't do this and they held a kind of a live event with with one of these influencers and um and you know there were a bunch of people on who could ask ask questions and and have an actual kind of live conversation and so that would certainly be something i think would would be worthwhile to look into particularly mm-hmm. since that's where you're you're active and your kind of your your constituents or your stakeholders are active as well that's a really cool idea uh especially because it's not in terms of the live, I didn't know about the live, but just thinking about it now as others being able to tune in on a conversation and take part, I think mm-hmm. that's really effective. Yeah. Yeah. I know Reddit has, mm-hmm. um, and that might not be exactly your, your audience. Um, I, I don't know. There's but, a lot of teenagers on there too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they have AMAs and that are right. a little, you know, they're, they're a little more, typey um in terms of of uh how that how that platform functions but but certainly you know i would look into what opportunities tiktok has etc and and just see um you know see where you can go with it i definitely will are you so what what's your rollout plan in terms i know you've talked about grants a lot is there a, a plan for um trying to trying to get donors on board that that you guys have have discussed internally we have um discussed it a bit we i the one of the great things about memphis is that there are um a lot of uh foundations or even individual donors that are very invested in the well-being of memphis and the growth of memphis and memphis you know people know people in Memphis. You, you know, it's a, it's a big city, but it is very, you know, our roots are here and a lot of people's roots are here. And so we do share that community where we know that there are big donors. And like I said, my mother has worked in the development field for 20 years. And so we have begun to talk about that because she's an expert and, uh, we have talked about, you know, getting in front of people who specifically are interested in uh, better schools or better, whether it be you know, health, better health for children in terms of, uh, you know, food deserts or, or food like gardens and local foods, or um, also the organizations that uh, work to alleviate um the challenges that people face living in poverty in Memphis. So we have begun conversations on, you know, basically we've, we've pitched ubiquitous a a lot over the last year and a half. We've gotten better and better. We just competed in our final pitch competition and we got third place in people's choice um, for that, which was a small monetary award, but we have begun, you know, thinking about who do we go to next? That is an actual individual or maybe it's a family or a foundation that has similar values of ours and um, get in front of them, however, you know, whether that's virtual or actually in front of someone and really communicate how we want to bring this to Memphis for 
the reason that we think that it'll work in Memphis, we've done our research here in Memphis and we, we love Memphis for (laughs) one, but also this can be just one of a, a one stone that will have great ripples and is scalable and is feasible. And, um, we've, we have begun that conversation to talk about how we would do that and when to kind of do that as well. Yeah, that sounds great. Did you, when, when you did the, the pitch that you took third, did, did they record that? And is that available for you? They did record that. I was just asked that today, you know, it was an all day, um, whole spiel from, you know, 8am to, 2 p.m. But there's, you know, we had the longer competition or the longer presentation. That's really the whole business plan. That's 10 minutes. But then also there's a two minute video that I know I can give you that one because I I made that one. But the recording of our presentation, I'm still locating it. But all I really have to do is contact the program office and I'm pretty sure they have it. Um, It was it was a great event. So, yeah, I'd love to see if I can get my hands on that because more and more people are wanting to (laughs) see what they missed out on. Well, I think there's a couple of things there. And the first is that that going back and reviewing kind mm-hmm. of a live performance um, like that and is it can be really valuable yes. um, to, you know, I would say use the word critique, but certainly um, just get a feel for what how you did and, and where you feel like you maybe could have you know, polished some things or just some really good gold nuggets that come out of it that you're like, I know I said something amazing there, but I can't remember exactly what it was. So just going back and reviewing that video can be really super helpful. Right. Um, likewise, you can reuse it um, mm-hmm. perhaps. And, and it, it again comes back to that kind of scalability piece where if you have people that say, well, you know, I'm interested, but I'd like to learn more. You can mm-hmm. send them either snippets of the the event that you thought were particularly awesome, or um, or the whole thing if the whole thing works as a as a really solid pitch, and that then um, is something that you can that again, you know, talking about scalability is something that that can then scale a lot more effectively. Um, where you know, having having a dozen you know, 10 minute calls takes, uh, takes 120 minutes. And so, um, you know, that's a couple hours, True. whereas just sending it out a, a dozen times mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't take that long. Obviously there's the, you know, you want to follow that with the, with the in-person, um, opportunities, but this could be the, that thing that kind of greases the wheels for you. Um, that, that helps people get a good understanding of what it is you're trying to do. Um, has it in a kind of a professional, you know, pitch situation and, and really helps, um, solidify why they might want to invest in, uh, in what you're doing and, and help support your cause. That's a great point. And, I, I know that you just, you did say, you know, it's coming from a professional setting, but it's also, um, which is still professional, but the visual aids and, you know, mm-hmm. the creativity that comes from, you know, my teammate and I pitching this idea to a person versus, you know, the phone call, which I do think maybe would just be better as the, the next step, but first to really show people the big idea with the kind of entertaining, but still very informative presentation pitch. Yeah, and just thinking about all of those assets that you've that you've built mm-hmm. and created over the over the course of your um, 
you know, how, how long you've been doing this, um, all of those things, you know, can either be reused or repurposed or, or leveraged on different channels. And, and, um, and so thinking of ways to get, get that valuable information out there to, uh, to your audiences, um, you know, in a way that, that helps get them on board. Definitely. Yes. And I'm, I hope, you know, everyone knows anyone, you know, you, Stu, obviously know that I am very excited to talk about all of this, but, you know, the conversation I think should uh, not about just about ubiquitous, but about, you know, the whole education and healthcare in terms of sex and reproductive health and menstrual health, that we can talk about it. And um, it's, it is a big brainstorming idea and potential to even make it better and to keep talking about all the opportunities that we can see. Um, as a community. So I'm always open to talk about it. And I, I think that's a great idea in sharing our pitch as that um, real great way of taking that step forward and presenting it to people. Yeah, for sure. I, I just, um, you know, we look for ways to serialize things. So yeah. essentially take and, and put them out on different platforms right. um, as well as, as, or syndicate, I guess is a better, better word there um, as well as, figure out how to take material that you've created once and reuse mm-hmm. it in a variety of different ways, because not everyone engages with, with organizations in the exact same way. Some people like video, some people like slideshows, some people like audio, mm-hmm. um, you know, some people want to hop on a phone call. And so just creating when you've created something that is working, figure out how to, how to, tweak it just a smidge and make it work again in just a little bit different format. And so it's kind of like what I was talking about with, um, if you have a, a multi-step tip for, uh, for people for reproductive health, instead of just putting that in one slide with here's one, two, three, four, mm-hmm. um, have that be in multiple slides and, and have the first slide tee it up and say, Hey, have you ever considered, you know, the, the steps you need to, to really improve your, your health. Um, slide one, you know, is step one, slide two or tip one, slide two is tip two, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then with a, a lockup. So the last slide then kind of wraps it all up and, and says, if you want to learn more, um, you know, come, come see us in Memphis, um, or jump on this call or, you know, whatever, whatever the, the call to action is. Right. Yeah. A little nugget of a, a lesson book. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, uh, it's just really effective to be, enable you to, to have built something once, but figure out how to reuse it multiple times. I think that's really good advice for a lot of people. And it's kind of like what you were saying earlier, you know, we've done the heavy lifting, we have all this amazing information and these supported ideas and to keep communicating them and, you know, work smart with what we have. Yeah, for sure. I love it. So what are your takeaways from our conversation? I can't believe we've, we've been on for almost an hour. I know. Um, and it's thank gone you so again fast. for having me. Yes, it's, sure. it's very, um, very interesting to hear from you and get, you know, um, advice. This wasn't just a conversation, but this was a conversation with the, you know, you're very knowledgeable. And um, I really appreciate you, you know, using this platform to brainstorm and and guide people in a way or at least offer some direction. Um, but uh, you mentioned follow-up surveys. Uh, so I think, j- which also just links back to maintaining that engagement. I do like the 
um, idea that you said, you know, just keep your, keep your foot on the accelerator. Don't totally let off. Uh, and, and I do, um, you know, the, you, you know, we're still working hard, but there's that saying work, work smarter, not harder, but you know, I'll still keep working hard, but also to work smart. Like we do have these things, we can redistribute them. We can try communicating them through different channels. Um, I think also your points about engaging virtually and seeing how we could have, you know, our minimally viable product online, if we can't bring it to the streets of Memphis right now, like how can we still be providing something that's of value to the people that we want to help? And of course, um, I thought, yeah, the idea of using like, especially the presentations that we have done and sharing that around, um, because I think those are really engaging. The two minute pitch, of course, has less information, but it is, you know, it's, it's quick, it's supposed to grab your attention. And that can start more conversations with people who are interested in any sort of facet of uh, what Ubiquitous is trying to do. (laughs) Yeah, you're getting it. That's awesome. (laughs) So how can people get in touch with you or find you online? What's the best place for them to to find Ubiquitous? Ubiquitous? Um, I would honestly go straight to me. Um, right now, I am essentially Ubiquitous and I have my team. But like I said, we're really small. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I, I sent you the link, but you know my name is Francie Saunders and that's F-R-A-N-C-I-E-S-A-U-N-D-E-R-S. So you can find me on LinkedIn. You can follow us on Instagram at it's it's dot ubiquitous u-b-i-q-u-i-t-o-u-s um and then really messaging any of those or um messaging me on linkedin i'm that's how we found each other so that's a, a great way of really building a network of course and reaching out and um then we can exchange email addresses or wherever it is and start a conversation yeah and like uh-huh. i said i i love to talk about this i understand that they're um you know, from this program. And I have amazing classmates that came up with um, other distinctly different, but amazing social ventures and that there is so much potential to create positive impact in this world. And it is only better if we work together and talk about it and brainstorm and learn from each other and support each other. Because when one of us succeeds, all of us succeed. I love it. That's a great attitude. So if you've listened to my shows, you know, at the end, I always ask for an action item. I really like to try and get the audience to, to do something after listening to the show. Mm-hmm. If there's one thing that you'd have people do after listening to our show today, what, what would that be? That's a good question. And, you know, I do know you asked this, but <laughs> I think one thing that I learned from my whole experience setting this is that you may have never talked about the topics of Uh, periods or sex or puberty or reproductive health um, in your life, really. But once the conversation comes up, people do want to talk about it. And to I I would like everyone to whether you're having a conversation with yourself about how your life has been affected by the presence of or the lack of sexual health products, services and education Um, how that affected you or have a conversation with someone near to you. Maybe it's just talking about the podcast and how someone's trying to, you know, change the way that we approach sex education or um, menstrual health. And basically I'd like everyone to do that because I think we should keep 
trying to normalize conversations around bodies, um, physical health and mental health, because it's just the human experience and we should talk about it more. I agree. I think that that's really good advice. And, and uh, hopefully everyone listening will, will be more comfortable having those conversations. Um, I know that they can be awkward, but they certainly don't have to be. So I would encourage them to also look at, look at your website at ubiquitousempowerment.com or .org. I can't. Yes. Ubiquitousempowerment.com. Yes. And you can send us a message there um, as well. And you can look around. We, we had our surveys there, but yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. And it was lovely talking with you. It was lovely speaking with you too. Thank you so much for um, all you do helping out with nonprofits. And it was great to speak with you. Thank you so much for reaching out. Thanks, Francie. Have a great day. You too. Happy holidays. You too. All right, there you have it. Another great episode of Relish This. Thanks for listening. If you would like to learn more about how to apply the audience engagement cycle to expand your organization's mission, there are two things you can do. Right now, you can go to missionuncomfortablebook.com to download a copy of my book. And while you're there, you can get your purpose-driven marketing score to see where you can unearth some gold for your organization. If you'd like to listen to back episodes of the show or sign up to be a guest, go to relishstudio.com slash podcast. That's it for this week. I'll be back next week for another great episode of Relish This.